Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 14th of April, 2023, and this is episode 705 of Bitcoin. And if you want to support the show, just do it through Podcasting 2.0. Sweet. It's the easiest, most non-gut-wrenching way that you could possibly do it. You can go to newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com, and find There, rather, there you will find all manner of new podcast apps. Not that legacy old crap, not that, not the Apple podcast, not whatever. I mean, those things are just done and done. The last innovation they had was the ability to fast forward 30 seconds by double tapping one of your AirPods in your ear. All right. That was like, that's the last thing they innovated on. They haven't even, it's not, they're not even pretending to attach value to podcasts such as mine and or yours and or if you don't have a podcast yourself, the other podcasters you listen to. No, 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 no. They don't give a shit. They don't care. They're like, no, no, no. Because that doesn't do them any good, does it? If if their apps allow you to give Satoshis to me, directly without them in the way, how does that benefit them? No, 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 it doesn't. Which is why if you want to become part of the value for value ecosystem, you have to get a new podcast app, a modern podcast app, you know, ones that actually do things and run with scissors and reach for stuff. I mean, you know, it's not that hard. And you do that by going to newpodcastapps.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. My favorite is Fountain App. I love Fountain App. I do. It's great. And you can stream me Satoshis. You can throw me Boostagrams. And by throwing me Satoshis in a Boostagram, you can also throw me your words, your thoughts, your ideas, your gains, your losses, your successes, anything you want, man. I read them. I read them all. And so, well, sometimes I get so many, I can't read them all on air. But today, I think I will be able to get that done. And we'll get to that after, well, after a little bit of news. And the first bit of news we got is from a guy named Matt Odell. Matt Odell. That's right. He's got, well, he's not the one that's saying anything about a guy named Dennis Porter. He has put up a series of screenshots as a note on Noster. And we're going to read them here. Um, And you got, remember, take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt. Okay. There's a lot in here that I don't know. I don't know the Twitter account, anything about the Twitter account that's tweeting these screenshots. I mean, Odell has just put up this series of screenshots from a, 
Twitter account by the name of Dennis Grifter. I don't have any idea who the hell at Dennis Grifter is. I don't know anything about the account. I can't because why? Eh, not on Twitter. So I don't know anything about this. But there seems to be an issue going on with Dennis Porter, who's part of the Satoshi Action Fund. And I bring this to you because I was kind of singing the praises of Satoshi Action Fund a couple of days ago. This guy seems to think that that may not be the case. You be the judge. We're going to start with the top tweet. Dennis Porter and his team have met with my office multiple times. After the events of the past six weeks, we will no longer be accepting meetings with Mr. Porter or anyone affiliated with the Satoshi Action Fund. Among other things, Mr. Porter and his team falsely claimed that a recent proposed amendment to the Uniform Commercial Code would make us a pro-CBDC state. He claimed that this amendment could lead to a backdoor for CBDCs and that it was bad for Bitcoin. This was not true. Due to the work of Mr. Porter and Satoshi Action Fund, we received a lot of pressure to denounce the UCC amendment. They got media, Twitter users, and other groups involved. They helped kill that bill. We found out weeks later that the amendment was actually good for Bitcoin. After realizing that we were misled by Mr. Porter, we did some digging. We found that both his and his organization's Twitter accounts were full of misleading statements, half-truths, and full-on lies. It called into question every meeting we had taken with him up to this point. Mr. Porter and his team never retracted any of their statements, never issued an apology to their, for their errors. They never reached out trying to make things right. They took credit for their supposed win and moved on. And now we have to deal with the mess they made. We rely on organizations like Satoshi Action Fund at the state level to deliver accurate info and reasonable policy proposals. Mr. Porter and his group have shown that they can offer neither of those. And even worse, they've shown that they will prioritize Twitter likes over good policy. Due to Mr. Porter's conduct, I have had no choice but to reach out to many of my colleagues, not just in my state, but others as well, to let them know about his organization's lack of credibility. As a Bitcoiner, I cannot stand by and let him hurt this industry anymore. We will not take another meeting with Mr. Porter or his team. My boss will not take the advocacy of Satoshi Action Fund seriously ever again. They either intentionally misled us or they were advocating on an issue they didn't truly understand. I'm not sure which is worse. My hope is that after this story comes to light, more people will realize that Mr. Porter and his organization are not acting in Bitcoin's best interests. They have wasted the time and resources of many offices, and at multiple points, they have been actively detrimental to the space. It's important that lawmakers know who to trust when it comes to Bitcoin policy issues. Dennis Porter and Satoshi Action Fund have lost my trust. I am not the first to come to this conclusion, nor will I be the last. I just hope that people find out before it gets a lot worse. Thank you to Carla Reyes, professor at SMU Law, whose article helped me to see that many blatant errors in Satoshi Action Fund's advocacy. Thank you to my team who didn't blame me for the things going down the way that they did. They acknowledged that I'm not a lawyer and they mentioned how hard it can be to make a policy decision when thousands of people online are upset about the situation.
And finally, thank you to everyone who is reading this. This was very hard to write, but I appreciate you letting me share my experiences with you all, and I hope that it proves useful. Here's to the industry getting better in its policy efforts moving forward. Now, before I say anything, I want to see if I can find it again. Hold on, because uh, there's a lot more note replies to this than the one that I saw. Where is it? Oh, good Lord. A whole bunch of people have been replying to this. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on, hold on. It's probably just not going to happen. Oh, here we go. Um, Richard Dick Whitman, uh, Dick Whitman uh, on Noster says, I don't trust this anonymous account. Look at the other papers by Carla Reyes. And that's the person that that whole tweet thread was mentioning. Thank you to Carla Reyes from SMU, that, that thing. Well, here's a link that Whitman has given about uh, these other papers. And the, the titles are Distributed Governance, Conceptualizing Crypto Law, Moving Beyond Bitcoin to an Endogenous Theory of Decentralized Ledger Technology Regulation, an Initial Proposal, uh, If Rockefeller Were a Coder, uh, autonomous corporate personhood, creating crypto law for the uniform commercial code. Uh, I think maybe Whitman is looking at this one, moving beyond Bitcoin to an endogenous theory of decentralized ledger technology regulation. I, you know, I'd have to go and read every single one of these, uh, of these papers to understand what, what Dick Whitman is, is trying to say here. But I think Dick is bringing up a good point. It's an anonymous account. Okay, nobody really knows who this person is. I mean, at Dennis Grifter, here's what you've got in the handle. Now, I'm not defending, I'm not defending Dennis Porter. That's not the point. These are the things that I look at when I'm trying to determine just how much validity I should put on anything at all, right? So you've got a guy who speaks as if he is knee deep. Actually, this person seems to be neck deep at some state house level. We don't know the state, although I'm wondering if it's not Montana. I, I'm not sure because I think it was like Montana or it was North Dakota that was uh, in the news a few days ago talking about rejecting the uh, UCC bill that was across the desk. It, I, so I don't know. That's the point is that we have no idea who this person is. Now, I get that you got if you're going to be a whistleblower, sometimes you got to be anonymous about it because otherwise you're going to get into a world of hurt. But when you're calling somebody out like this and it's completely anonymous, then I take this entire thing with a box of salt, not just a pinch, not just a grain, a whole freaking box of Morton kosher salt. Right. Okay. So if this is true, then Dennis Porter is indeed a bad actor. If it's not true, then at Dennis Grifter is a bad actor. And then you have to wonder what kind of beef does he, does he have with Dennis Porter? Now it's clear. It, it's very clear that the state that kind of, kind of rejected the UCC uh, uh, adoption bill may have messed up. I'm not a policy expert, so I'm not even going to make that call. But if they did mess up and it was, and it definitely was Satoshi Action Fund, 
well, then that's kind of a bit of a problem. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, we will have to watch Satoshi Action Fund, Dennis Porter. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, because I just I just don't care anymore. Uh, Noster is the only place that that makes any sense anymore because it's not doom scrolling all the day. It's it's literally happy feelings all the time on Noster. I I love it. I hope it stays that way. Uh, but we'll have to. If you guys are on Twitter and you're uh, and you're wondering, it's at Dennis Grifter, and it's just all one word, Dennis Grifter. And if you know what grift is, then you know how to spell grifter. We won't get into it, but we will move on to the fiasco that occurred in San Francisco. And I'm, I am talking about the uh, murder of Bob Lee. Turner Wright, Cointelegraph. San Francisco authorities have made an arrest in the stabbing of Cash App creator Bob Lee. Let's find out more. The San Francisco Police Department has arrested a tech executive named Nima Momeni in connection with the April 4th stabbing of Cash App creator Bob Lee. In an April 13th press conference, the SFPD announced that Momeni was in custody following the execution of a search and arrest warrants in San Francisco and Emeryville, a city across the bay. Police Chief Bill Scott said that the evidence shows that Momeni and Lee knew each other but did not comment on the motive of the stabbing, adding that the case was not yet closed. The death of Lee, known by many in the tech world for creating the mobile payment service Cash App, sent shockwaves through the crypto space. The news that Lee knew Momeni suggested the attack was not random, despite media outlets pointing to San Francisco as a crime-ridden city. Quote, we knew nothing about the facts of this case immediately after it happened. None of us did, said San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. Quote, my urging through Twitter through the news was to really press upon not just the media, but the residents of San Francisco and everyone else not to draw conclusions about what happened in this case. It's unclear at the time of publication what charges, if any, Momeni could face in connection to Lee's death, but San Francisco Mayor London Breed referred to the case as a murder. In addition to developing Cash App, Lee had formerly been the chief technology officer at Square later rebranded as Block, the chief product officer of MobileCoin, and a father of two. And we're still, you know, kind of reeling from the fact that this 47-year-old man and father of two, he was either 43 or 47, doesn't matter. Dude was under 50. He had an entire life to live. And he was already kicking ass. He had a wife. He was a father of two children. And just that by itself makes this beyond tragic. I mean, what's his wife and kids going to do? I'm, I'm sure that they will be fine financially, but now you got two kids growing up without a dad. You got a wife who's a widow in her 40s. She may even be younger than that. I, I don't know anything about her, but this is, it's, it's terrible. And you got to ask yourself the question, if this Momeni guy is indeed the guy that stabbed him to kill him, of course the question is why. And I'm sure all that will come out later. We'll... Be, I'll be making sure that I, I keep you abreast of the situation as it develops. Uh, now, Twitter to add Bitcoin investing in partnership with eToro. Announcing, or let me repeat, Twitter to add Bitcoin investing in partnership with eToro. I kind of skimmed this article. I'm not sure if we should take it that way, but that's the, that's the, the headline that BTC Casey gave this one out of Bitcoin Magazine. 
eToro has partnered with Twitter to allow users to invest into assets with cash tags. In addition to expanding the number of financial assets that users can see real-time prices for when using the feature. Currently, users can see live price charts for a select few financial assets. After the eToro partnership, the list of cash tags that produce live price charts will be hugely expanded according to the press release. While users will also be able to click through to the eToro platform to see more information on the asset and have the option to invest. The partnership will cover cash tags representing a wide range of instruments on the eToro platform, including Bitcoin. Twitter added pricing data for cash tags back in December of 2022, and the feature has since seen widespread adoption with more than 420 million searches for cash tags since the start of the year, according to the press release. On average, the release says there are 4.7 million cash tag searches a day with activity increasing around prominent earnings announcements. The most commonly used cash tag was Tesla with BTC ranking in the top five. Yona Asia, CEO and co-founder of eToro, said financial content on social media has provided education to many who have felt excluded by more traditional channels. Twitter has become a crucial part of the retail investing community. It's where millions of ordinary investors go every day to access financial news, share knowledge, and converse. We believe real change starts with conversation and finance, and investing is a growing part of that conversation. We are pleased to partner with eToro to provide Twitter users with additional market insights and greater access to investment capabilities Twitter will continue to invest in growing the Finn Twitter community, said Chris Reedy, Vice President, Global Sales and Marketing at Twitter. Okay, so <laughs> this isn't really what I think. Right? Yes, you can click the Bitcoin cash tag and you can click and it clicks you through to eToro and eToro has the ability for you to buy Bitcoin. So therefore, it's true the 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 headline is true twitter to add bitcoin investing in partnership with eToro however what's deeper here a bunch let's put it this way after an hour of doom scrolling and four glasses of wine i see this cash tag of something that i have no idea what they do but look at that chart on eToro my god i'm going to ape in does this does this sound like a sound like a good idea to you? It's almost like releasing a pack of wolves into a bunch of unclothed, unarmed humans, right? And, and watching watching the wolves just freaking sport kill a whole bunch of your your brethren. It this is a terrible idea. Okay, is it good for Bitcoin? I honestly I don't know. I, I, and, and this is so far beyond what is even appropriate for, the, for so many people that go to Twitter. Twitter is not an investing platform. This is a bad idea. And it's going to get a lot of people into trouble. It's already bad enough. I mean, and I'm not saying that regular Joes in retail should not have the ability to invest in stocks. I'm not saying that at all. <clears throat> but there's almost, in this particular case, it seems to me that this is, I'm half hammered 
And the other half of me is pissed off on Twitter because I've been doom scrolling the death of the world for the last four hours. And oh, look, here's a cash tag that shows that it's in the green. Oh, and eToro has this graph. And I know nothing about technical analysis. And even if you do, technical analysis, in my opinion, is sort of, eh, I mean, dubious at best as far as telling you what to do. You don't know anything about it, but the company's balance sheet. You don't know what they do. You don't know where they are. You don't really know anything about it other than it's green. Again, does this sound like a very good idea for you or to you? It certainly sounds like a bad idea to me. So watch out because, and God, I hate to say it this way, but They've just turned on the spigot to a whole bunch of unsophisticated investors. And honestly, with VPNs and a whole host of other tools that are available to some people that are more sophisticated, the SEC is going to have their hands full of unqualified, not unqualified, um, people that shouldn't be allowed, like Iranians with a VPN investing through eToro via Twitter, no less, into an American company when that country is sanctioned and the SEC is going to start asking questions about how did this person gain access to being able to buy this stock on eToro and all of a sudden Elon's going to have to raise his hand and say, well, we've got click-through. Do you see the mess that this can cause? I would stay as far away from Twitter cash tags, other than just having fun with them, I guess, the, uh, I just, just stay away. This is bad. This is just bad. And you know what else was bad? Was Elon Musk's decision to sell Bitcoin. <laughs> Tesla selling Bitcoin last year turned out to be a $500 million mistake. Yashua Gola, tell us more, Cointelegraph. The price of Bitcoin has grown by more than 50% since Tesla unveiled its approximately $1 billion BTC sale in July of 2022. In other words, the Elon Musk-owned electric car maker would have made an additional $500 million if it had waited until today to sell. The Tesla infamously dumped nearly $936 million of its total Bitcoin holdings in the second quarter of last year, accounting for 75% of its remaining reserves to secure $64 million in profit. At the time, Bitcoin was trading about 70% lower than its record high of 69000 in November of 2021. Originally, Tesla purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin in February of 2021 at an average price of $36,000. The company then sold BTC worth $272 million to boost its first quarter 2021 accounting by $101 million. The company has nevertheless held on to its remaining BTC as of the fourth quarter of 2022 despite the price of Bitcoin sitting at bear market lows of around 16,000 at the time. Today, Tesla holds 10,725 BTC, which is worth around $330 million, almost 15% below the procurement value from February of 2021. Overall, Tesla made roughly $165 million in profit from two separate Bitcoin sales. As of April 14th, it sits atop an unrealized loss of around $56.6 million 
on its remaining BTC holdings, while its net profit to date sits at around $108 million. Interestingly, Tesla's previous Bitcoin sales came from weaker free cash flows. For instance, the first quarter of 2021 BTC sale worth 700 or 272 million made up nearly 93% of Tesla's free cash flows in the same quarter. Similarly, Tesla's Bitcoin sales in the second quarter of 2022 came as its free cash flows declined 73% versus the previous quarter. Both sales suggest that Musk relied on Bitcoin as a haven during Tesla's cash crunch phases. The Tesla CEO explained at the time that the sale was made to prove liquidity of Bitcoin as an alternative to holding cash on a balance sheet. Meanwhile, Wall Street analysts estimate that Tesla's free cash flow in the first quarter of this year could be nearly $2 billion, which is up 40% versus the previous quarter. This should reduce the chances of Tesla dumping any significant Bitcoin amount in the near term. All right, so basically what happened is two things. Tesla did not sell its Bitcoin that first time to test liquidity. And the second time it sold was the exact same reason the first time it sold. They were in the hole. Their balance sheet showed negative. And they used Bitcoin to make that cash flow positive. That's, the, that's why they did it. They weren't testing liquidity. It was all BS, right? And, but this time, this time, they don't need to sell anything. The question is, will they anyway? Musk clearly doesn't like Bitcoin. He clearly thinks Doge is the better way to go. And I've never seen such idiocy in my entire life, but we're talking about Elon Musk here. The dude is batshit crazy. So anything goes with this guy, but... One thing we do know is that in comparison to other quarters, Tesla's in is is functioning in they're in the black on their balance sheet. They really don't need to do anything at all. So what will they actually do? We don't know. We're going to wait to find out. Arizona governor vetoes bill targeting taxes on blockchain node hosts. Turner Wright Coin Telegraph Katie Hobbs, the governor of the American state of Arizona, has vetoed legislation that would have largely stopped local authorities from imposing taxes on individuals and businesses running blockchain nodes. In an April 12th decision, Governor Hobbs issued a veto to Arizona Bill 1236, first introduced in January. The legislation aimed to revise sections of statutes pertaining to blockchain technology, largely reducing or eliminating regulation and taxation on node operators at the state level. Quote, a city or town may not impose a tax or fee on any person or entity for running a node on blockchain technology in a residence, said the Senate version of the bill. The imposition of a tax or fee on a person or entity running a node on blockchain technology in a residence is of statewide concern and not subject to further regulation by a city or a town, end quote. Under the bill, the same restrictions for cities and towns on node operators would also have applied to counties. Following approval in the Arizona Senate and House, lawmakers sent the bill to Hobbs' desk where she vetoed the legislation on her 100th day in office. 
<laughs> Some Arizona lawmakers have introduced legislation aimed at making the U.S. state a pro-crypto regulatory environment for both companies and individuals. State Senator Wendy Rogers proposed Arizona's government make Bitcoin acceptable as legal tender and joined with other lawmakers in a resolution having crypto to be a tax-exempt property under the state's constitution. So good job, Katie Hobbs. All right, so what are you going to do if you're in Arizona and you're running a Bitcoin full node? What kind of tax could they actually impose? Is it a tax on flow-through? Is it a tax on how many trans transactions are in your particular mempool? Is this, I mean, is it just a flat tax? Hey, you know, you got to register with us. You run, you know, if you're running a node, you got to register with us and pay, I don't know, like, like in, in Texas, you go and get your uh, vehicle registration. Essentially, it's a tax. It costs $37 or $37.50. I don't know if that's still the price. I think that was the last time I got the car registered. Uh, but it's a tax. That's all it is. And they use that in Texas for, I guess, improving roads. Because it's not your federal income tax for roads. It's gas tax and vehicle taxes that do that. And they do that in the states that you're actually registering your vehicle in or the taxes on the gasoline that you put in your car. Okay. And, and diesel, if you're putting it into a diesel uh, vehicle in either event, it seems that what's occurred here is that the Senate and the house of representatives passed a bill that said, there's not going to be a tax on you running a full note at your house. And she vetoed that. So she, I, does that mean that she wants a tax for somebody in Arizona running a Bitcoin node? Or is it more likely, which, well, this is what I think. I think it's more likely she had no idea what this legislation even meant. She has no freaking clue what it was that she actually vetoed. But the last part of this entire story is the kicker. <clears throat> How are you going to know if I'm running a node? What, was there anything in the legislation that gave guidance as to how you tax the node? Is it a registration? Is it a voluntary thing? Or was it going to be like some kind of uh, packet sniffer thing that was statewide that the state deployed to sniff packets of data across all lines in the, in the state of Arizona and say, yes, this packet looks like it's coming from a node. Here's the IP address. Good luck with that because most nodes are actually, well, my node is running over Tor. I don't think all of them have to, but my node BTC at the, uh, <clears throat> at the default setting is that it runs over Tor. So not quite sure how they would have done this. And what, what is so odd is they spent all this time and all this money legislating this thing to say, we're not going to worry about it. And Wendy Rogers takes just puts the stamp on it and says, no, we are going to worry about it. Well, how? In, in what way are you going to worry about it? It seems, I don't know. That's why I kind of think that she had no idea. What, okay, Katie Hobbs, not Wendy Rogers. Katie Hobbs uh, uh, killed it. And I have no idea how it is that they want to figure out who's doing what on something like a Bitcoin full node, much less any of the other nodes. And this would probably also include a Lightning Network node. So I don't know, man. It just seems weird. I don't think she knows what, what it is that, that she did. Okay, Civ Kit, if you 
have been listening to me over the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned Ray Youssef on a couple of occasions in connection with the closure of of Paxful over in Africa. I can't remember what country in Africa. I I think it's Nigeria. Pretty sure that Ray Ray Youssef is a Nigerian. Anyway, um, Ray Youssef went on Matt O'Dell's Citadel Dispatch to really outline what the hell was going on with Paxful, and it's a very sad story. I, I I don't want to rehash it here. If you want to find out more about it, please do go over to Matt O'Dell and uh, Citadel Dispatch, and and it's like I think it was like uh, the one before last is the Ray Youssef episode. Uh, go go read it or or go listen to it, and then uh, make a decision for yourself. But during that interview. Ray Paxful uh, threw down a a thing called CivKit, C-I-V-K-I-T, with a space in between. The, the civilization kit is basically what he's getting at. And there's a white paper out for it, and somebody has kind of digested the major points of CivKit that is Ray Youssef, Nicholas Gregori, and Antoine Riard uh, are putting this thing together. And this is what gave me hope uh, past the closure of Paxful uh, is when he started mentioning this because it's blowing me away. I got to read the whole paper. It's a big white paper, way longer. It looks like it's longer than the Bitcoin white paper, but somebody boiled down the points. So let's talk about these. What There's five points that are in this boil down and I think I've I've got I think I'm pretty sure that I've got the uh, uh, the GitHub repository link in the show notes. If I don't, you can yell at me. Just do it through a boostagram. Um, the title of the paper is CivKit, a peer-to-peer electronic market system. And again, the authors are Nicholas Grigori, Ray Youssef, and Antoine Riard. One. We propose a new peer-to-peer electronic market system which enables censorship-resistant and permissionless trading between users of the global Bitcoin system. Two, the design builds on top of the Noster protocol for its peer-to-peer order book and relies on the Bitcoin blockchain as a source of truth for its web of stakes marketing ranking paradigm. Web of stakes is not proof of stake. I don't, that was my opinion. They probably shouldn't have used stakes at all, but it relies on the Bitcoin blockchain as a source of truth for its web of stakes market ranking paradigm. Number three, market trades are locked under Bitcoin contracts to avoid reliance on trusted third parties for dispute arbitration. Four, all market nodes are incentivized by privacy-preserving Service credentials backed by Bitcoin payments. Sounds like a ratings kind of thing. And five, and finally, this market system should enable global trade of any kind of item all over the world. Fiat currencies, goods, and services. So at first, it kind of sounds like it's just a, like HODL HODL or BISC or some kind of decentralized trading platform. It is a decentralized trading platform, but think of it more as you probably will be able to buy Bitcoin for fiat somehow from some dude on Noster using the Noster protocol, but you might also be able to sell a guitar 
or your old truck. And by the way, Matt Odell is in the market for a new truck or a, a used pickup truck. So if you got one for sale, this might be the way to sell it to them. And you can do it using the Noster protocol. I am really, really excited about this. Will it work? I don't know. We're going to have to find out because it's just in its white paper stages. There is no implementation that I know of. If it comes, it's probably, it's going to go, have to go through alpha. It's going to have to go through beta. You know the drill. If you want to be early and grab your namespace, then God forbid, don't sit on your haunches. Go read the white paper, <clears throat> even if you're not technically minded. In a white paper, white papers are very much like scientific papers. The abstract is what you want to read at least. And then go read the abstract. And it will say abstract. It will have a heading that says abstract. And it's usually the very first thing. Otherwise, it really wouldn't be an abstract. And it abstracts away all the, all the details that are in the white paper and gives you a tight, solid thing about the whole paper. And then read one more section, the conclusion. That's usually, not always, but usually in a scientific paper or white paper, the conclusion is the very last section of the paper. Read both of those at minimum and see what you think about this. Because if this is going to turn into a, a full-blown marketplace, then think of a mall, Mall of America, where it's just all retail spaces. You know, and unless there's an H&R block somewhere in there, you're probably not going to buy a service. You're going to buy dresses and purses and makeup and burgers and go, you know, well, you go to the movies. I guess you could consider that a service, but like jeans and belts and, and shoes, because apparently that's all that's ever sold in malls anymore is items of clothing. Now think of the Mall of America that has all that retail and somebody's used shit that they're going to sell in a garage sale and somebody who's saying for five bucks, I'll make you uh, an avatar for Noster or Twitter or whatever. And somebody else saying, I'll edit your podcast. And somebody saying, I'll do the video for your podcast. Think about that. Think about going to the Mall of America and being able to buy physical garments, any service that you can possibly imagine, and maybe even, you know, trade fiat for Bitcoin all in one place. That's the way that I'm reading this. I have two Mesa Boogie Mark III amplifiers. I've got to get both of them fixed, right? And I plan on doing this. One of these is almost a one-of-a-kind amplifier. It's wrapped in bird's-eye flame maple. Hard to find that wood. A single plank of wood was wrapped around to make the, car the cabinet of this, of this amplifier, so therefore the grain literally wraps all the way around this thing. This thing probably, I could probably sell this for 3,500 bucks today because it's, there was only one of 150 of these things that were ever made by Mesa Engineering and given the Mesa Boogie uh, Mark III label. I, I got another one made out of African Mboya wood, which is standard fare for Mesa Boogie, but it's a Mesa Boogie Mark III. And these things were built in the very late 80s. These are vintage amps. I very much want to sell them, get them fixed up and want to sell them. But now I'm going to wait until CivKit 
gets into at least alpha, if not beta, and see how this works. Because Noster is one of going to be one of the very best places to have online sales. It's going to, if this works, CivKit is going to kill Craigslist. It's going to kill eBay. I know you're laughing at me because of the network effects of both of those things. It's going to kill Angie's List. Is if if you're still laughing, I would probably stop. I would probably just stop. All of legacy media, whether it's social media, news media, sales media, it's all dying. It's all on fire. Claim your namespace now. When new shit like this comes out and you're not claiming your namespace immediately, it doesn't take you much time to do it. All you got to do is figure out how something works and then store the information somewhere that you won't forget. And it either takes off or it will die. If it dies, it does is no skin off your nose. But if it takes off and you were there at the beginning, dude, you can't buy that kind of rep. I'm just saying. Now, speaking of reputation, let's see if anybody's lambasted me on Fountain App. By the way, I have fallen from the number four spot to number 12. It's sad, but it happens. And I, once again, like, like Bernie Sanders, I am asking for your help to get me back into the top 10. And Bubba tried with 21,012 sats. That's the mega rush boost, 2112. David, it's easy to be more like the dude. <clears throat> Here's what you do every day. Drink white Russians and smoke wacky tobacco. That's all. <laughs> Nick underscore dose with five, six, seven, eight sat says cheers. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that, man. JC Denton with 2100 says on the topic of weight loss, walking is great, but the other most important thing you need to do is count calories. People overcomplicate the whole dieting thing. It's really very simple arithmetic. Eat fewer calories than what you burn every day and you will lose weight. There are apps that make Hold on. There are apps now that make it super easy to log everything you eat. I used to be obese myself and I lost nearly 60 pounds in the last eight months just by sticking to a calorie deficit of about 600 calories a day plus exercising. He goes on and uh, has a uh, reply to that that uh, says, I also gave up alcohol mm, for good which it turns out I really needed to do. Some people can moder be moderate drinkers, and I am not one of those people. J.C. Denton, I hear you, pal. And here's another thing about alcohol. If you look at the molecule of alcohol, this goes, like if you're just a big beer drinker, wine drinker, or something that anything that's under 40 proof, there's a lot of residual sugar that's in those drinks. Uh, and that clearly is just pure empty calories that your body's got to burn. And that's not even counting the alcohol. When I was in college, when I'd go out to the bar or uh, the dance club, and I really wasn't big on going out on the dance floor, but um, we would go to the club um, and watch all the other people make, make you know, do their thing, which was, which was fun. But one of the things that I noticed about the women at these clubs is that they were all, none of them were drinking beer. None of them were drinking wine either, even white wine. No, they were all drinking something with vodka in it. 
doesn't matter what it, what the drink was. It had vodka in it. And I finally asked a friend of mine, you know, who one of the girls. I was like, why, why aren't you drinking a beer? Why? She's like, well, we only drink, we only really drink vodka-based drinks. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because there's no calories. And I'm like, what? wait, what? She's like, well, it's like way less calories than if I drink a beer. Biochemistry disagrees, ma'am. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. I just, because I didn't know what I knew, what I know now when I was talking to her back then. The molecule of alcohol, I hate to break it to you people. You might as well be eating sugar. You're, you're two steps away from sugar. And I'm no, I won't even get into the metabolics of that. I'm just going to say that you've got ethanol, which is, um, it's an OH group, an, uh, an oxygen and a hydrogen hanging off of the end of um, ethane. Okay, you got methane, you got ethane, you got propane, octane, all those anes. It's, it's the number of carbon atoms that are in that chain. Ethane, right, is C2H6. If you remove one of those hydrogens on the last carbon, the one of the two carbons, and you stick an OH group on it, you've got ethanol. That's alcohol. Ethyl alcohol is like C2H6O or something like that. It's got it. It's just all it has is an extra oxygen atom in it, but it's a carbon skeleton. See, that's the point. Your body looks for carbon skeletons, whether it's fat, whether it's sugar, whether it's whatever. Some of these things are really useful. Cholesterol. There's a bunch of carbon in it. Good quality, pure animal fat. Very useful. But small molecules like sugars and uh, ethanol. No, that goes in like all sugar. So keep that in mind when, when somebody says, oh, I'm drinking vodka so I don't gain weight. <laughs> it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Dub, Dubra, Dubravko, Dubravko, I think is how you pronounce it. Sorry, dude, if I'm butchering it. 1000 Sat says, I would like to talk with you about NFT's extended warranty. <laughs> I guess it's like the phone call. I'd like to talk to you about your NFT's extended warranty. Yeah, that was uh, from yesterday's show. Uh, at Mab 150 Sat says, here's the YouTube link for the audiobook reading. It's four hours and 53 minutes, but it's two times. But if you put it at two times the speed, you can listen to the entire thing in two hours and 26 and a half minutes. Welcome. And he gives the YouTube link right here. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and take that link and throw it over into my show notes. Uh, and if I can remember to do this thing, uh, hold on. Uh, ah. Okay. If I can remember to go check it, make sure it's the right thing. He's talking about the YouTube link to the audio version of the book called The Richest Man in Babylon, which I cannot recommend enough. Listen to it way more than once, especially your first time around. Just listen to it and then immediately listen to it again. Go on walks to walk off all that vodka calorie shit, all right? It's worth it. It's it's worth it. That's all I can say about it. Now, let's run the numbers. 
and I jumped the gun just a little bit. I got one more left for 100 Satoshis. says, I started listening today, but I love the podcast. Thank you, user 319-820-1658270534. I did that simply because uh, it's kind of rude saying user with a shit, no, shit ton of numbers. Um, it is what it is. Now, CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate up 0.68% to $82.72. Brent North Sea up 0.4% to $86.44. Natural gas is up almost a full five points to $2.10 per thousand. And gasoline is down a third of a point to $2.82 a gallon. All of your metal rocks are doing poorly. Gold down over two points to $2,012.90. Silver is down almost two points to 25 bucks and 42 cents. Platinum is down over a point. Copper is down a third and palladium is essentially flat. Uh, agricultural stuff is mainly mixed. Your biggest winner is wheat. 2.32% uh, to the upside. Your biggest loser looks to me like it's going to be chocolate down almost a full percent. I got live cattle down 0.4, lean hogs up almost a fifth of a point, and feeder cattle down a third of a point. That's not really going to be helping the ranchers, so it is what it is. Dow, ooh, actually all the guys in equities are not doing well either. Dow is down 0.8. Uh, S&P future, no, S&P is down 0.73%. NASDAQ is down over a point, and the S&P mini is down 0.83%. Real money peaked above 31000 but has now come down to $30,133.78. That's after 398000 uh, BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 1.2 BTC, a median transaction value holding at 0.011 BTC or 340 bucks. Block times are just slightly low, 9 minutes and 52 seconds. 0.17 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 25 and a half taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 6.79% drop in hash rate, we're down to 341 and a half exahashes per second. Doge, uh, 8.6 United States pennies. So it's never gone back up to its 9.7% spot uh, that uh, started when... Elon put Doge onto Twitter and it caused the whole thing. Uh, yet that's after like a 6% rise, which everybody is screaming bloody murder going, look at Doge, look at Doge. What? Look at, look at what? It's still crap. It's just because somebody gets their panties in a twist and starts buying something that's not good for them doesn't make it actually good. So it is what it is. Uh, we've got, $585.8 billion of a market cap, which is 4.3% of gold's market cap. You can buy almost four, uh, almost 15 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,345,961.96 of, and 5,417.84 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at around $164 million being run over 16,375 nodes, sporting 74,424 payment channels, and 67.3% of all of it is running over Tor. And we've got what? We've got a retarget uh, for April the 20th, 2023, but it's only supposed to rise 0.2%. 
So the volatility and hash rate seems to be leveling off a little bit, you know, but take that with a grain of salt too. Uh, Mempool, we're down to, let's see, uh, 84 blocks. Wow, whittling away. Block, uh, the uh, miners are whittling away at all this stuff. However, uh, we are still purging all transactions under 2.02 Satoshis per V-byte out of mempools that are at 300 megabyte default size. 13 Satoshis per V-byte is the lowest priority transaction fee. Highest priority is 15. So if you want your shit in the next block, you're going to pay 63 United States pennies for the privilege to do so. Uh, That looks like it's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Jack Dorsey explains his new obsession. This is from just a couple of days ago. In fact, uh, Politico has the full story and it's not behind a paywall. So I don't have to go over to archive.ph and throw it up there so I can read it for free because all of these idiots still have yet to do the simplest thing by adding a lightning network paywall option. And I would have paid 50 cents to read this thing to you. It's as simple as that Politico. And it ain't that hard. There are a thousand people right now waiting for your call and they will do that shit for you for a nominal fee. Don't do that for free for New York Times and Politico. If those calls start coming down, you make sure you charge them, right? Do not give that shit for free. You make them pay for it. I know there's some people out there listening saying, I would do that shit for free for Politico just to help Bitcoin. No, that actually doesn't help Bitcoin. If these guys reach out to you, you charge them what you're worth. Don't do it for any less than that. Even if it means you don't get to do the job, you cannot make Bitcoin look cheap because it's not. It's $30,000 a coin right now. (laughs) Anyway, Jack Dorsey's new obsession. Oh, by the way, this is written by Ben Schreckinger, I think is how you pronounce it. On Friday, while Twitter's new management was stirring up a fresh round of controversy, the head of Twitter's old management remained blissfully unaware of the turmoil. Jack Dorsey, the guru-esque former CEO of Twitter, hasn't been seen on his old platform since January. Instead, he's been spending time on Noster, an open-source social media protocol launched in 2020 that has become popular with Bitcoin enthusiasts. That includes Dorsey who has been posting up a stream of consciousness storm lately on the network. On Friday, amid Dorsey's posting tsunami, I created a Noster identity for myself to learn more about the user's decentralized vision for social media's future. To access the network, I used the Domus iPhone app, one of several software clients available for accessing the protocol. I found the Domus user experience comparable to Twitter's, but clunkier, and with some minor issues getting a custom profile, picture, and wallpaper image to stick. I also decided to ask Dorsey himself about Noster. In a brief Friday afternoon interview with DFD, Dorsey said he had not even heard about Twitter's decision to block engagement with tweets that linked to the rival platform Substack. Instead, he pushed for his vision of an internet in which fights over the power of social media platforms would essentially cease to be relevant. Dorsey was the face of Twitter during Donald Trump's rise to power. When the platform's capacity for unmediated online conversation upended political communication in the United States and much of the rest of the world. But in late 2021, 
He left the CEO job to focus on his payment startup Square, which he rebranded to Block, as in blockchain, to focus on his vision for Web5, a Bitcoin-centric decentralized internet. In recent months, Dorsey has become increasingly focused on this new social media protocol as a potential vehicle for his decentralized internet vision. It's a protocol, like email, that anyone can build software on top of. Users access the network with a personalized private key, essentially a password that they are responsible for keeping track of. There's no one to reset it if they lose it. And that lets them retain control of their identity no matter which software interface they use to access the network. It's sort of like the right to take your phone number with you when you switch cell service providers, except that right, that right is baked into the code of the protocol itself. Because anyone can set up a Nostra server, content or accounts blocked by one server can still be found on other servers. He's talking about relays. And Nostra clients tend to scan several servers to avoid missing posts. Again, he means relays. In December, shortly after publishing a blog post reflecting on content moderation in response to the Twitter files, Dorsey donated 14 Bitcoin to support the protocol's development. He last posted on Twitter in late January to note that a Nostra client, Domus, had become available in the Apple Store. Since then, he has been prolific on Nostra, offering his thoughts on everything from the World Economic Forum to methods for lowering your heart rate. On Friday alone, he posted over 100 times, including replies. In the middle of all that posting, Dorsey agreed to be interviewed with a catch. We can interview in the replies, not the DMs. Open interview. Pausing to let you know that I brought you that live on Noster. Well, it wasn't live on Noster. I brought that exchange to you, and this is the guy. I had I I don't know if I remembered that he was from Politico. I might have, but kind of a I was about to say kind of a big deal. It's all on fire, so how big of a deal can Politico be? It used to be a big deal. Let's just say that. Continuing on. In the resultant back and forth, Dorsey revealed that Block is working on Nostra-compatible products. He declined to offer any further response to a March report by short-seller Hindenburg Research that argues Block's cash app has inflated user numbers. Yeah, we all forgot about that Hindenburg train wreck real quick, didn't we? Good for us, because we need to forget about shit like that. He also argued that the user experience on Noster had already surpassed that of Twitter, citing Zaps, a feature that lets users tip each other in Bitcoin, part of a vision in which information and money flow together around the internet without obstruction. Dorsey said he was unaware of Twitter's recent Substack blockade, but didn't seem to like the idea, quote, I don't believe Twitter should block any links. He wrote, immediately following the interview, he published several notes, Noster's term for a post, bringing attention to the rift. He also said Noster was becoming popular outside the Bitcoiner niche, citing a growing artist community that he said would be drawn in by the tipping function. <clears throat> Quote, that would, will grow faster with Zaps and the fact that we have global per permissionless payments on the internet, end quote. Dorsey's chosen interview format matched the open theme around which he's staking his business career and personal brand. His followers 
peppered the thread with their own commentary during the back and forth, and Dorsey engaged them in conversation during the proceedings. Following the exchange, Dorsey announced it would form the model for his new personal media policy. Quote, no more closed interviews for me, over Noster or on live pods only, end quote. At a time when no one can agree who should have power to police social media content, a system designed to be controlled by no one holds obvious appeal, especially when it integrates payments and gives individual users control of their identities. But the value of a general purpose communications network is highly dependent on attracting a large number of users. More than a million Noster accounts have been created. Actually, dude, two million have been created. But real mass adoption faces a behavioral obstacle. To date, most internet users have been happy to trade away control of their identity for the convenience and scale offered by centralized platforms. For anyone who doesn't want to talk about Bitcoin and the structure of the internet all day, Nostra offers slim pickings. We're, we'll get to that. <laughs> it would take something like artists or a critical mass of Dorsey-level public figures flocking to the network to provide a level of vibrancy that would make the transition worth it for average netizens. Either that or the protocol needs to play host to a series of extremely compelling interviews in the replies conducted exclusively by DFD. To make sure you don't miss the next round of live Noster interviews, you can follow me on the protocol using my public key. And he gives his public key. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop that into the show notes. And if I have more than two neurons to rub together after this shit is done, um, I will uh, make a note of that in the show notes to, to go follow that guy. Because honestly, this is actually a pretty good article. Uh, Huh. Ben Schreckinger with help from Derek Robertson. Okay. It is for Politico. So I don't know about this DFD thing, but it, I think that this is a, I think this is a fair shake. I really do this. I mean, I don't expect it from Politico. I really, I really expect it to be like, it's just, it's crap. And Hindenburg was right. And you suck. And you know, it's like Twitter only. And you've got to be back and get back into the barn. You know, get back into the barn, and this isn't it. I'm, I, well, shit, I've, I've got some hope here, for at least for this guy. Now, getting to the very end of the article, and they mentioned it a couple of times, is the slim pickings of non-Bitcoin-related stuff. I want to pause here and go to the Survival Podcast. Yes, I'm mentioning another podcast. Please bear with me because Jack Spirico is one of my favorite people. Um, and let's see if I can find it again because he started a whole thing called Grow Noster. Here it is. I'm going to read you the six things about Jack Spirico's hashtag Grow Noster initiative, which is a 90-day initiative. As far as I know, this is supposed to last for 90 days. Will it go on beyond that? I don't know. But I mean, you know, 90 days, that's a, a full quarter of the year. That's good. That's a good set. And what is it supposed to do? The Grow Noster Initiative from Jack Spirico and the Survival Podcast and Bitcoin Breakout, which is his other podcast, seeks to get, in fact, more content of different kinds non-Bitcoin, non-crypto, non-blockchain, non-that. 
it's supposed to get everything else like homesteading and art and fixing your car. What, whatever it is that isn't Bitcoin is part of the Grow Noster initiative. Number one, commit. Commit to and make at least two posts a day on Noster and they can be anything except Bitcoin. Pics of your dog, garden, stuff you're doing to work out, work you were doing on your business, news stories, anything except Bitcoin. Number two, hashtag these posts with GrowNoster and also tag them with some other relevant tags, say permaculture or keto or business or whatever is relevant. Just don't leave out the GrowNoster hashtag as it is the keystone tag. Three, every day check the GrowNoster feed a time or three and follow at least two, if not more people that you don't know in that feed based on common interests. DM them, let them know what you did. Number four, check your DMs and follow back anyone who DM'd you and follow you in their step three. Make at least four comments. This is number five. Make at least four comments in post tagged Gronoster every day. And finally, zap at least two people using the tag Grow Noster every day. This can be, say, 50 sats or about a penny. I mean, you can afford that. Come on, guys. And like I said, the entire initiative is centered around getting different kinds of content into Noster. It's not, and I'm not going to say that Noster is going to die if it doesn't happen or this will, this, we need this. Bitcoin doesn't need anything. But I definitely have already seen a couple of people saying, honestly, I'm tired of all the Bitcoin talk and I'm going back to whatever shitty social media platform that they've got. You know, whatever legacy social media thing that they've got, they're going back to it because they came to Noster for something other than Bitcoin. And if you're sitting out there right now saying, well, I don't really give a shit, Dave. I really just don't. I understand. I get where you're coming from. But if you follow these six steps that Jack Spirico have, have, uh, has lied out, laying out for us, chances are real good. You'll find something that you actually are interested in. And you'll be like, oh shit, I, I really like building cabinetry and watching carpenters do stuff. I know I did. The amount of, the amount of hours I spent watching New Yankee Workshop in this old house on when PBS was actually good is is kind of, it's a little embarrassing. I mean, just watching somebody put maple wood through a planer, I don't know what it is, but it was like, what is like other people watching golf. It's calming. I loved it. And I'd like to see more stuff that's completely outside of Bitcoin on Noster, which is why I'm a big proponent of Jack Spirico's Grow Noster initiative. Remember the hashtag. Grow Noster. Now, getting into this one, Bitcoin Marketplace Open Bazaar is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. It's back. Open Bazaar. I don't know if you ever heard about this. This was a long time ago. Man, this is, wow, this is like, this is almost nostalgia for me. Let's get into it. Alyssa Hertig, decrypt.co. After a two-year break, Open Bazaar, 
the decentralized marketplace platform is on its way back to life according to some vague tweets from its official account. The digital marketplace where users sold goods from homemade candles to medicine have shuttered in, was shuttered in late 2020 due to dried up funding. After initially announcing its closure, the marketplace was temporarily rescued by an anonymous donor, but it ultimately wasn't enough to keep Open Bazaar open for business. Open Bazaar CEO Brian Hoffman, talk about a name from the freaking past. Wow. Confirmed in a message to Decrypt that he is rebuilding the marketplace, though he declined to add any further detail. Quote, or not quote, the Open Bazaar website has been updated to say Open Bazaar 3.0 coming soon. Open Bazaar is like a digital marketplace for Bitcoin's currency. It was known for its unique approach to online shopping, providing a decentralized marketplace where users could buy and sell goods without the need for a central authority like, say, Amazon or Etsy. The idea was to give users more freedom over the goods that they sold. The plan worked for a while before Open Bazaar's funding issues. Merchants set up hundreds of shops accepting cryptocurrencies for their goods. According to Hoffman's GitHub account, a site where developers post their code publicly, he has been working on a new implementation of Open Bazaar in the programming language Rust, which is all the rage in Bitcoin lately. Well, that's because of its its garbage handling capabilities and memory <laughs> and it's uh, light touch on memory, but if, whatever. On Twitter, some users are already excited about Open Bazaar's return. In an interview with Coindesk in 2018, co-founder Washington Sanchez, if you remember that name, wow, God, this is so nostalgic, described Open Bazaar's purpose as such, quote, Open Bazaar is supposed to be a free and open protocol for trade using cryptocurrency, a way for currencies and tokens to gain meaningful economic utility to acquire goods and service, and an entry point for people to earn and onboard, end quote. Following the Open Bazaar shutdown in 2020, its founders hinted that structural changes would be needed to further place control of the marketplace in the hands of its community and away from the company that initially designed it. All right, so Washington Sanchez and Brian Hoffman, not the best players in the Bitcoin space as it turned out. When Open Bazaar first opened, I got a, a marketplace just to see how this thing worked. I openly talked with Brian Hoffman and Washington Sanchez a couple of times back in the day, back on Twitter. You know, I mean, this is like a long, this is a very long time ago. And I was excited about it. And it, the, you know, it seemed to work. And well, shit coinery started occurring. Ethereum started coming up. Dogecoin started being talked about. And Brian Hoffman started saying things that, it just wasn't, it, it, I don't know, it, it didn't cotton with me. So I just kind of just said whatever, but yeah, we're talking about a couple of people that ended up being not the best players on Bitcoin's behalf, but I cannot not see the nostalgia here. The minute that I saw this article, I'm like, yeah, these guys kind of sucked uh, at the end of it, but I don't care because Open Bazaar, the mere name, took me back all the way to 2017, to 2018. And then it closed down and all oh, whatever. And then I just forgot about it. There's a lots of stuff that we've forgotten about in the history of Bitcoin. And it doesn't matter that Washington and Hoffman ended up being eh, not so good for Bitcoin 
but it takes me back. It's called nostalgia. And if you know the names Lawrence Welk or Liberace, those two names are synonymous with what nostalgia actually is. Lawrence Welk more than Liberace. But be that as it may, I'm glad to see that Open Bazaar is going to make a, a comeback and, and you know try to reach for the ring again. However, I think what they should do is fold themselves in with CivKit. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's the whole reason why Open Bazaar is coming back because Ray Youssef has CivKit on the way, which essentially is kind of not the same thing. Clearly, it will be done differently. But the fact that it's going to be on Noster, I think, is going to give Ray Youssef and crew a hell of a hand up than Open Bazaar because they need their own servers. It's not open. It's closed. It's not open source. All the code is behind it. It, 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 it just different. It's going to rely on infrastructure that you don't want to rely on. Noster is completely different. Is there infrastructure running Noster? Of course, but it's spread out. People just want to run relays. They're doing it because they're excited about it. And for now, you can leverage that goodwill. And if you don't screw them, if you actually be a good person, there's no reason that you can't leverage somebody else's goodwill for your own needs, for your own good, if you have just a modicum of respect for those people and not overload relays with your shit and be mindful of the ecosystem and not sit there and say, I want it all to myself and I don't care if anybody else has notes that they need to transmit. I got shit to sell and make 10% off of. If Ray Youssef and crew don't do that, then they're going to fucking win this. And Open Bazaar needs to take note. Just saying. Guess I got a little hot under the collar. Where are we at? Let's see. What do we got? Oh, let's do the... Uh, Let's do the failures. Crypto exchange BitTrue suffers a $23 million hack due to a hot wallet exploit. This happened like today. <laughs> Cointelegraph Helen parts. BitTrue cryptocurrency exchange has suffered a hot wallet exploit, allowing attackers to make off with $23 million. Announcing the news on April 14th, BitTrue said that it had temporarily suspended all withdrawals due to a brief exploit of its hot wallet. The firm expects to reopen withdrawals on April the 18th, 2023, after conducting a full rug pull. I mean, additional security checks. BitTrue stressed that it was able to address the matter quickly, which allowed the platform to prevent the further draining of funds. Quote, we take this matter seriously and are currently investigating the situation. Mm -hmm. Bit true stated, adding that the affected hot wallet only accounted for less than 5% of the exchange's overall funds. Bullshit. 5% is $23 million? Uh-huh. Bullshit. Bullshit. Sorry. Uh, quote, the rest of our wallets continue to remain secure and have not been compromised. We are conducting a thorough security review and will update you as we make rug pulls progress. I mean, as we make progress. BitTrue executives promised to fully compensate all the identified users affected by the incident. According to the announcement, the affected currencies on the exploited hot wallet include Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, Shitcoin 3, Shitcoin 4, Shitcoin 5, Shitcoin 6, blah, blah, which is nothing but shitcoins, no Bitcoin here. As previously reported, hackers have been increasingly opting for decentralized finance hacks over the past few years. 
slightly moving away from traditional centralized exchanges. In the first three months of 2022, crypto exchange hacks accounted for just 3% of all crypto stolen, while 97% was taken from DeFi protocols, according to data from Chainalysis. And screw those guys at Chainalysis, I hate them all. Funded or founded in Singapore in 2018, BitTrue is a major centralized cryptocurrency exchange trading nearly $2 billion in crypto per day on average, according to data from CoinGecko. The company had been hacked in the past, losing nearly $5 million in Cardano due to a hot wallet hack in 2019. So there's another DeFi hack. This isn't in the past. This happened today, $23 million after they had lost $5 million. They're saying it's 5% of their fundage. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I've never even heard of BitTrue and 5% being $23 million is that means that they're sitting on funds according to them that is way higher than what you would expect a bullshit exchange or a bullshit DeFi exchange to have, especially one that you've never even heard of. So that's all crap. Older version of DeFi yield aggregator Yearn Finance has been exploited for $11.6 million. Decrypt.co and Navish Rustgi. An older version of Yearn Finance Protocol was hacked for $11.6 million yesterday, April the 13th, due to a vulnerability in Yearn's USDT token. Uh, initial reports suggested Ave was also exploited, but an Ave spokesperson told Decrypt that it was only used to swap an array of tokens. Ave founder Stanny Kuchov also confirmed that the project was not directly impacted. No one cares. Ave is a shitcoin. And Ave is one of DeFi's oldest lending and borrowing protocols, letting users earn yield for depositing various cryptocurrencies. Yearn Finance is another popular DeFi protocol that aggregates various yield opportunities from around the market into a single platform. To get rug pulled, the YUSDT token is a yield accruing token that tracks a user's USDT stablecoin balance deposited in Yearn contracts. Quote, it was misconfigured to use the Fulcrum's IUSDC token instead of the Fulcrum's IUSDT token, noted paradigm researcher Sam Sun. Um, Fulcrum is a DeFi platform that allows users to borrow and lend ETH and other ERC-20 shitcoins. The damage was limited since only the older versions of Yearn were exploited, confirmed one of the project's senior developers. Uh, the attackers have already started withdrawing shitcoin one through the Ethereum Mixer Tornado Cash with 1,000 ETH worth around 1.9 million withdrawn already per peck shield. Attacks such as this have become common in the DeFi sector. In March, Euler Finance, another lending and borrowing proto protocol, was exploited for $200 million. SushiSwap, a decentralized crypto exchange, for $3.3 million. The Euler team successfully negotiated the return of the majority of funds, and SushiSwap has also rolled out a recovery plan for affected users. It just goes, it just, this never stops. It's just DeFi hack after DeFi hack after DeFi hack, and yet... People point at me and say, you don't like anything new. You're a, you're a Luddite. DeFi is the future. Well, if the future is losing my money, then I don't want to have any part of the future. And I would rather go to a barn raising. That's going to do it for the morning roundup.
It's the end of the week. We still got jokes. Dad says jokes. The genie asked, what's your first wish? Steve said, I wish I was rich. The genie nodded and said, what's your second wish? Rich replied, I want lots of money. Yeah, I'll let that just kind of hang out there in the thing. I don't have the sound effect because my soundboard decided to say, you know what? Up yours. And the only way that I can get this back is a full reboot of my computer. And my computer is slightly older than most uh, people might actually think. Uh, I bought this computer a long time ago. It's a box computer, B-O-X-X. And at the time, they were making some of the most ridiculously kick-ass computers on the face of the planet. And they were charging pretty, pretty, uh, pretty penny for them, by the way. But they're really well built. I mean, they're so well built, I'm still using it. It's been years. I'm, I'm telling you, man. I mean, I'm still on Windows 7. <laughs> I know I should be using Windows at all. I get it. Everybody's laughing at me. Yeah, point at the podcaster and laugh. I don't care. It works. But the boot up time is 10 full minutes. <laughs> I'm serious, man. It's actually a little bit longer than that after everything is loaded in and the system tray is all ready to go and all that shit. Yeah, it could be a good full 15 uh, 20 minutes before the uh, non-SSD hard drive. Yes, my hard drive in this computer has bearings. It actually physically spins. That's how old it is. So point at me and laugh all you want, and I am still going to bring you the daily news as long as I can. And just a reminder, spread the show. Let other people know about it. Help me spread this show because honestly, I can't market. I don't know why. Some people, it just comes to naturally. I don't even know where to go. I, you know, when I spread the word of the show out, it's just on Noster. And I'm, I'm actually posting this shit to LinkedIn. That's how bad I am at this. If you want to help me, you can do it in two ways. One, if you know how to market, like if you're a good marketer, Teach me how to market. Teach me how to market myself. Because I, I don't know how. There's, there's only so many things that I can know how to do, and there's even less of those that I know how to do well, right? That's the nature of being a human being. So if you happen to be one of those people that say, I can market a ham sandwich, then I want to talk to you. I want help. I need help. Even just the smallest help possible would be great. Do it through a boostergram or a DM or just... Make fun of me on Noster and give me advice and don't even DM me about it. Just, you know, you use me as the, as the punchline of your joke. I don't care as long as somebody somewhere can tell me how the hell to get the reach of this show beyond what I already have, which is not bad. I mean, for somebody who doesn't really know what the hell they're doing when it comes to marketing, I think that I've actually done pretty decently, but it could be better and I need your help to do it. And one of the ways to do that is to get me back into the top 10. It doesn't even have to be the top five. Just squeak me in top eight, you know, maybe number eight, number nine. Hell, I'll even take number 10. I don't care. But get me back in there because I like being next to my favorite podcast in the space. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.